From 1924 when he threw rocks around Ape Canyon Down into the modern age he's been a boon companion Though many folks have seen him know Now none of them have held him Or brought a decent hair sample to Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum If you're walking through the woods one night And you see a vague footprint Build a mold and cast that bitch Cause it could be a hit But if you've never seen a Sasquatch Just seek and you will find Because Bigfoot is a state of mind Yes, Bigfoot is a state of mind Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hidden Zoo Where every week we make fun of an animal that probably doesn't exist I'm Don and with me as always is Blake Don, I'm really hung up on this our merch idea for the attending that symposium. Oh, the next year's uh, international cryptozoology conference in Portland, Maine. Yep. We're going to, we need to come up with a whole raft of merch to sell. Uh, okay. Well, we had some ideas uh, before come we... on down and get Bigfoot hoax and boots. Hoax and we had the hoax and boots. Yeti scalp Yeti hats. Yeti scalp hats. Um, monkey pot. What, monkey. what else? What other items? Um, so, well, a few years back, Plato Loch Ness monster model. <clears throat> nah, we, I don't want to. Sp- I don't want to pay for the rights to Plato. But we could. But we could sell. Called in the UK. Plato has a different name in the UK. Well, not well. They call it you know like modeling clay. That's boring. Like the Ardman type stuff. It's called I, something else. I don't know. Can't think of it. I'll look it up. What other merch could we sell? Uh, remember uh, that Gen Con panel and and uh, friend of the show Tom. Had a buddy of his, or oh, I don't know, buddy, but a guy he knows draws a sexy Sasquatch print to use for our PowerPoint. So uh, perhaps we can, maybe he can make us some prints that we could sell if he gets a kickback of sexy Sasquatch. Now the story behind sexy Sasquatch is pretty great. It's it's really weird. <laughs> it like w- Blake and I were recording a different podcast. Like five years ago now? Oh, it was a while ago. 2014, maybe? Right? When did you leave? Or I left in 13. Yeah. yeah, I left in 14, early 14. So we were probably doing it early 14 or late 13. Yeah, that's right. Bugging me. I got to find out what the hell they call the clay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bothering me. So anyway... Uh, Blake and his uh, friend Russell, who we have talked about have, uh, also having as a guest on this show at some point, they had a uh, a, a local podcast called Spocast because they were living in Spokane, where Blake still lives. And I guessed it on that once. Blake was just like, hey, you want to come on my podcast? And so I went to Russell's house, and we did the podcast, and we invented 50s Guy. Remember 50s Guy? Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. His, his wife died, and he didn't, he didn't know how to do little, anything. That's a little derivative, but yeah. still. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was fun. Especially when when he set the house on fire because he tried to start cooking the Salisbury steak by shooting the uh, oven. <laughs> and then the neighbor was like, why didn't you call the fire department? At the same time, you and I both said, the fire trucks are red. <laughs> that was pretty good. Can't but, trust him. So then, then Russell moved away and so i kind of became temporary co-host until i moved away from spokane and one night it was like two in the morning and we had just filmed a commercial no shit for the science center i worked at we just we just knocked out from i think from start to finish that commercial took us from concept to final cut like two hours 
Maybe. Yeah. And it aired during Cosmos. I'm so still we actually made a silly commercial yeah. that aired during Fox's Cosmos. Yeah, uh, it was great. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll post a link to my Dropbox version of that, like a read or a view-only link in the show notes, because it's fucking good. It's so much fun. Um, anyway, and we were just talking about whatever, because that's how Spocast went. One week, he got drunk and just ta- told me all about the guns they used in World War II. And then the, yeah, week after, cool. the week after that, I don't remember how we got on the topic, but we decided that Bigfoot used Stargates to move around and hide from people, but also that Bigfoot was Richard Nixon, but also that Richard Nixon was Batman. And then we got to talking about uh, Careless Whisper, Sexy Sax Man. Yes. Only it's Bigfoot. Yeah. And we were going to, we thought of how we actually priced looking like how, what's the best, cheapest Bigfoot costume we could get yep. to surprise people in the woods. But then you play Careless Whisper and with a, with a, <laughs> with, with a saxophone. So you can be sexy Sasquatch. Yeah. People would, would have a, a Sasquatch sighting. Yeah, and but if, then, oh, wait, what's he got? It's he's a, got a sax? He's a saxophone? saxophone? And, and he's, he's playing, playing this. Whisper? Okay, if you guys don't it's know what Careless Whisper is. There it is. It's made famous by Deadpool. Oh, do you have it ready? Or you just have air horns? Right. I got it ready. So let me fade it in. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Yeah, and there was uh, that, that meme. Oh, and that's it. Yeah. There's a video of sexy sax men standing on a it's register at a, at, a, at a grocery store and playing <laughs> Careless Whisper. So anyway, yeah, it would be that that shtick of playing uh, Careless Whisper on a saxophone in random places, except dressed as Bigfoot. Yeah. And Tom's artist dude drew us this amazing fucking picture of sexy Sasquatch. Yeah, it's a pretty reasonable train of thought, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, it. too. Um, and we we played it for people, and they said that would only be funny if you were stoned. And I said, ha-ha, joke's on you, because I've never been stoned, and it's still funny. Plasticine, you say? That's the word I was trying to find. Oh. That's uh, oh, okay. great. I'm glad that we cleared that up. So, yeah. So we could have sexy sack squash prints, potentially. Yeah, and then not explain why we have that. So people could just unknowingly purchase <clears throat> art of <laughs> sexy sack squash without knowing why that's great. Just know that that's... And we could I, just... for example, have a very well done... Uh, artwork of President Taft stuck in a bathtub on top of an ankylosaur. Nice. Did you did you commission that? No, but someone else did. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy just had a couple extra prints of it because someone needed a Taft for their President's Riding Dinosaurs collection. Cool. And so I just have President Taft in a bathtub on top of an ankylosaur. That's somewhere. pretty amazing. I don't know where I put that. It's in my box of shit I haven't hung up yet because I just move all the time. <laughs> so I stopped putting things up. So yeah. the only things I have hung up are... I have Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch is hung up in my living room. And you have Garden of... I have of, like uh... a three-foot by five-foot print of the oil painting of uh, Vladislav the Poker from... <laughs> From what we do in the shadows. Do you do you have uh, the garden of 
Pacific Westerly Delights by Hieronymus Bob. No, but I need to get that. Where all the things doing the torturing are Bigfoots. Just the triptych of Bigfoots. Yeah, the Bigfoot triptych. (laughs) The cryptic. No, I want that. A cryptic. The cryptic triptych. (laughs) That's way. That's a way better because you've seen the like shitty painting where people will take a, a painting, like a landscape painting, and add cryptids to it. Yeah, and they they, they like buy a two dollar painting at the Goodwill and then yeah. sell it for three hundred dollars because they painted the fucking the Loch Ness like, monster into the the lake. Yeah, or like the Ahool. I'd much rather have famous Renaissance paintings redone with cryptids. Oh, that would be great, Mona Lisa. How great would that be? But it's a it's a chupacabra. With a with a mysterious smile, although Vermeer's girl with the the necklace, yeah, would be a pretty great Bigfoot painting. <laughs> Just a Bigfoot. The girl, the pearl earring, the girl with the pearl ear- earring. That one. Yeah, the pearl earring. Yeah, I always yeah. want to say pearl necklace, but that's wrong. <laughs> no, that would that's a totally different painting. That's a different, very different subject matter. Yeah, yeah. Just because she's just kind of looking over her shoulder, just like the just like <laughs> Hieronymus Bob in the suit. <laughs> It's Bigfoot. Hang on. Um, I'm just going to look at Google Image real quick. Uh, Bigfoot Vermeer and see if it gives me anything. On internet. Nope. Huh. It brings it brings up a, it brings up lots of really specific uh, power tools. <laughs> huh. Apparently there's a company called Vermeer that makes a wood chipper. Cool. Oh, who knew? <laughs> yeah. In a trench, with a trench weasel thing. One of those things that digs trenches. <laughs> so, the, huh. yeah. This has nothing to do with the artist Vermeer or So, Bigfoot. some fucking hipster has taken his dad's trust fund and, 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 and used those to landscape a Vermeer painting into his backyard and then taken <laughs> photos of it and, and tried to sell them at an art gallery. You oh, know, wait, this, right? here is girl with a pearl earring, but it's a, it's a, an orangutan. So they could do it with Bigfoot. That's pretty close. Yeah. Thanks. Pinterest. Huh? Thanks. Vermeer monkey. Oh, well, that's not a monkey. That's an ape. You clown. Oh, here's a Vermeer gorilla. And there's Vermeer ET. Oh yeah. Th- I mean, this could be a Bigfoot easy. Huh? Bigfoot. All right. In a, in a Close enough. Hat. Close enough. Google image. That'll do. To talk about my cryptids. Yeah, you want to do that? I got a couple of them. Oh, you got a couple this week. You're doing. Yeah, you're doing I found them. two that uh, that fit a theme. Are you? We know you love your themes. I do like themes. Okay, I so got two. What do you got? It is German U-boat encounters with cryptids. There's more than one. It's a very specific theme. You'd think yeah, there wouldn't be more specific. than one. But there By more is. than one, there are two. Oh, that's that's still kind of magical, though. Yeah, it's wait, wait. weird. Say, say, I found say, one, wait. and then I found stop, another one. Stop, stop, Say your theme what? again. A German U-boat encounters with cryptids. <laughs> there we go. First World War encounter U-boat encounters with sea monsters. Of un, of not really good veracity, but let's let's check them out anyway. <laughs> All right, I'll start with the with the interesting one because this one is more period dated. Okay, I'll get to that in a sec. Oh, by the way, Ryan's not here because he got too drunk and went to bed. Yeah. So 
<clears throat> and this this particular boat's war record is ridiculous. This it's a U U twenty eight. It is a type U twenty seven from the First World War. Okay. That's this thing. This ship sank forty ships. So it's it's one of the ones that was like like just a back conversion from an actual boat. Like back back when the U boats didn't actually look like a submarine you think of today, it just looked like a boat. Well, uh, modern submarines are actual submarines. They yeah. stand underwater almost all the time, and they're shaped like they're just round, like a big tube. Yeah, because they they don't go to the surface very much. But old school submarines, you know, World War basically before nuclear powered stuff. Yeah, they were diesel boats, and they were on the surface most of the time. So it's a surface ship. A surface boat that can submerge. Yeah, so when they spent it most of time on the surface. Yeah, so it, yeah, it, it was so the the difference. It's the difference between like a mud skipper and a like a, a doll, a sea turtle or something. Yeah. Anyway, so this uh, and they're little. They only had what's going have what thirty nine crew. They're pretty small. They're not. They weren't very big yet. Yeah. But this particular German U boat. Let's see it. Encountered the England. Oh wait, this is a different one. Oh, it sank in 1915. U-28 sank the British steamer Iberian. And as the ship went down, it's it sank, and then there was a massive underwater explosion about 25, 30 seconds later. And the explosion sent debris blasting up to the surface, including some sort of giant creature. Because the the U-boat's on the surface, and it observed this. Supposedly, they saw a gigantic aquatic animal resembling a crocodile that then just as quickly as it appeared, sank again. That's cool. So, and this is the, the original story from this comes from, let me find the attribution, number seven. It was written about in Popular Mechanics in the 30s, allegedly from the log of this U-boat. But then there was nobody to talk to since the entire crew was lost in, let's see, 1970. The, the, the weird thing, the way the submarine was sunk was it was on the surface. They, it was shooting at a, a steamer with gunfire, and the ship was carrying munitions, and it exploded, and a big chunk of the ship hit the U-boat and sank it. <laughs> so, so that's what we call a Pyrrhic victory. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, a lot of times, the the when it was a they encounter a ship by itself that didn't have escort, they could surface and shoot at it with their deck gun to sink it, and mm-hmm. that's what it was doing. It was on the surface, shooting at it, and it exploded and sank it. Why don't they just make the whole submarine out of the black box? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, some some events or some some. Uh, descriptions of it say a truck that was on the deck flew in the air and then landed on the u-boat so that's even more goofy sound thinking <laughs> like a giant truck shit this is like landing on your on your submarine and sinking it. this is like the world war one equivalent of that that dude in pompeii who had the the, the stone fell on his head you see that a couple weeks ago yeah. except it turns out it didn't fall on his it head didn't kill him though yeah no his head <clears throat> had just fallen off and rolled away and then the rock fell on him anyway so yeah, it's just like just <laughs> just really cartoonish. Him, just but. oh, we have killed them. Oh no, they have killed us. Oh look out, it is a truck. So a lot of the the, the descriptions, the the picture descriptions of the the creature look kind of like a a mosasaur. 
I thought it looked like an alligator. Yeah, but a lot of the drawings of it, the oh. the cryptid fan <laughs> fanboys who draw oh. these things. So like the Jersey Devil, it just looks like whatever they want it to look like at the moment. Yeah, and in this case, it tends to look like... Or sometimes it is just drawn as a big crocodile with feet. Sometimes they draw flippers. Because, I mean, no one really saw this. It was, yeah, it was there and gone. It's kind of apocryphal that we don't really have specific <clears throat> attribution for this one. But it was supposedly in the log of a ship that got blown up. Yeah, that the second one, my second U-boat cryptid story. <laughs> it's hilarious that there's two. I know. This one is U... Damn it, not again. U85. I turned that U off. UB85. Okay, was this World War One or Two? This is also World War One. So, in World War Two, the U-boats didn't see any cryptids. No, they didn't. They were too busy worrying about the Enigma code or something, I bet. Yeah, they were too busy. I guess, well, the uh, cryptids were probably extinct by then. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's my, my theory, is that all these fun sea monsters are just extinct now. Kind of a bummer of an idea, but... Yeah, but they at least they went extinct in the last hundred right, years or so. Go. Yeah, in the last... The, they just went extinct before we found out about them. Mm -hmm. So in the second story, from UB85 Wait, is in this, 1918... Is this the UB85 atrocity? <laughs> yeah, I don't know why it's... Why it's tagged with atrocity. That's what it's called on Cryptid Wiki. On Cryptid Wiki, yeah. I'm looking at multiple nonsense sites for this one. QB but this 85. story is that a British patrol ship found UB-85 on the surface. And it was a kind of a wash because something had damaged it. And allegedly, it was attacked by a strange beast. A strange beast. The captain said a strange beast climbed out of the ocean on the side of the U-boat, and they began firing at it with their small wait, arms. Wait, was, is he sure? Was he sure it was not a truck? Yeah. <laughs> so they're on the surface. You know, the, the watch is up on the conning tower. They're recharging the batteries, and this big monster climbs up onto the boat, causing it to list. And so they're they're shooting at it, worried that that's going to tip them over enough that water's going to get in the open hatches. Somebody's read the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader a few too many times. Let's see. And then... Oh, during the struggle, the, supposedly the deck plating was damaged by the mon by the battle with the monster and oh, wouldn't shit. allow it to, the boat to submerge. Allegedly. So then the British Navy sinks the boat, or it sinks on its own, depending on the version. <laughs> of course. And this story only appeared in 2005 so there's no no attribution of this before 2005 <laughs> so it just showed up on the internet and there's no record of it before that this has got to so, be hold on i'm gonna go to this has to be fucking creepypasta probably since everything seems to come from there oh i'm gonna go i'm gonna hit up uh Uh, the no sleep subreddit. Oh, another another fun, fun, uh, fun, cryptid wicked, uh, wi crypt, cryptid, wicked cryptid. cryptid. Yo, bro, that is a wicked cryptid. Theory is that the first the first U boat monster 
was being transported by the British freighter. Well, of course it was. And that in sinking, it got blasted out of the ship. Yeah, like they, they found it in one of their colonies and they were like, oh, this is mine now. We're going to take it home. Yeah, so Clive, that's so Clive Cussler, if you're listening. <laughs> this is the idea for your next shipwreck book. <laughs> the British stealing a cryptid from India. Is this, that sounds like the beginning of a Clive Cussler book. Yeah, maybe U boat U boat sinks British ship and monster comes out. Yeah, and then they have to, later on. Oh yeah, there's some you think a totally unrelated story, but it relates to that shipwreck somehow. And I will buy the shit out of that at the airport. Yeah, me too. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what I'm going to get, and I'm never disappointed. Some of them are better than others, but they're all pretty much the same. And I will read the shit out of it at an at an airport. Now, those two are likely complete bullshit, one more so than the other one, but I have one yeah. more. Oh, there are. You said there were only two. Those are the only two U boat related ones. Oh. I still have a, I have a U.S. Navy one. Oh, cool. And this one is real. Okay. This is the USS Stein, a Knox class destroyer escort or frigate, depending on what year it's, you're talking about. This ship it was redesignated. And in 1970. 74? Sometime in the 70s. Oh, 78. 1978. Okay. The rubber coating of the ship's sonar dome was damaged by a giant squid of unknown species. So... And they found in the the rubber coating, they found chunks of the claws that are in some... that are in the suction cups of some squid tentacles, and they were way larger than a known squid. But we know that giant squid exist. We do, but this, that they are much larger than known squid. Hmm. It wouldn't so surprise really me big squid if there was a really, really big squid. Attacked the sonar dome, but this one they actually left evidence. Cool. So that happened. That's kind of badass. Yeah. Yeah, the USS Stein is now the Ignacio Allende. What? In the Mexican Navy. Oh, okay. So we sold it to them. Yep. And yes, Fucking Mexico, Mexicans you... taking our ships. <laughs> yeah, and it's donated to Mexico. So as far as I know, it is still serving in New Mexico. Or so, in New, in Mexico. So UB-85, the, here's the description from Cryptid Wiki of a quote from presumably something in 2005. Out of the darkness of the night, what the captain referred to as a strange beast climbed out of the ocean and onto the side of the U-boat. Every man on watch began firing a sidearm at the beast, but the animal had hold of the forward gun mount and refused to let go. That just sounds like the climax to Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. Where Kirk Douglas has to harpoon the beast. Yeah, yeah like the, the giant thing. I think it was a giant squid, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a giant squid. Yeah, yeah. That was a great, that's a great movie. Yeah, I haven't seen it since I was a kid, but I remember that scene. It holds up so well. It's so good. And Kirk Douglas is like weird 50s ripped <laughs> where he's just all chest. Yep. He's a giant chest with just regular arms. No no biceps at all. Like where all they did was just medicine ball all yep. day. Like Jack LaLanne ripped. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. Jack Lillian ripped, where he's just this massive barrel chest with regular arms and legs. Description that Captain Kretsch gave to his British captors. This beast had large eyes set in a horny sort of skull. It had a small head, but with teeth that could be seen glistening in the moonlight. So, horny skull, 
large eyes, small head, teeth glistening in the moonlight. I like the comments underneath. I think it was a super saiyan. That treat but, this goofy picture they have like as it's real. like a real picture. <laughs> looks like, like, oh, it looks like this to me. It's like a big plesiosaur. Yeah, that picture is just obviously not taken in 1918. <laughs> yeah, that's not a U-boat or anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so those are actually three ship stories. There's lots of accounts from the, the Age of Sail. Oh, I bet sailing ships would see weird things. Yeah, I mean, like the all the sea serpent came from. Yeah, and there's then. some of them are they're theorized to be they, you know, the mistaken identity of they saw something else, mm-hmm. or they saw something moving in a weird way that then they looked like something else. But they apparently saw a ton more weird things back with sailing ships because sailing ships don't make much noise. Right. Is the idea that a sailing ship can sail around and you come upon things that you ordinarily wouldn't see from a noisy modern vessel. And, you know, they also didn't have nearly as many species of things cataloged. And even yeah. the ones that were cataloged, your average sailor probably didn't have a basic education and biology yeah, like, to know these things. So if you went to a new ocean and saw new stuff, you didn't, wouldn't necessarily know what that was. Mm-hmm. Or you just heard about it in the pirate bar. <laughs> Yar, I done seen a, <laughs> a creature that looked like a dog monkey. Fucked a walrus. A dog monkey. Oh, what should my real... I you I don't know what a, a dog animal. monkey is? Ain't you never been to this house? You used to see the dog monkeys. Uh, what should my real animal be? I don't know. I pick one. I don't, I don't prep your shit, son. I know. What's this? We could talk about U-boats for a while. You could. Your real animal is animal is the German U-boat. Quality piece of engineering. Yeah, the you know the German U-boat crews in World War II had almost an eighty percent casualty rate. Wow. Were were, some... were they just really bad at their jobs? Like, is there? Do we understand why that was the case? Well, there were a lot of them, and they got sank, and they got sunk a lot. Thank you. Why? Allied technology, Allied technology just better. overcame. Yeah, because I under- from what I understand, they were still using some legacy U-boats from World War One, at least early in the war. Uh, the not really. They, they they still had some older ones, but they would have been kept close to close to Germany for training. Okay, so those wouldn't have been the ones that were like out in the Mediterranean. Now they had, they had advanced their types sevens and type nines were pretty advanced for the time. Cool. Then they had even later ones that were bigger, like the twenty one that never made it in, made it into the war, was faster submerged than it was on the surface. Huh. Still diesel. Diesel, yeah, diesel electric. Cool. Well, that's pretty badass. much all the submarines were. It was a hybrid. Really interesting history with the the U boat war. Mm-hmm. In Enigma, you can read for days about Enigma. Yep, there there need to be more movies about that because we got a, you know the really good movie about uh, Alan Turing, yeah, Al, Alan Turing, and how he helped. Well, I, I want to say he helped. He spearheaded breaking the Enigma code, and he had help from other people. But he did the 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 poles, the Polish intelligence services had figured out Enigma before the war started. They had mapped it. Mm-hmm. They had mapped out all the how it worked, so that once that they 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 got invaded, they transferred all that. To France and then to the UK, and so they had, had a working 
what knowledge took, of how Enigma functioned. What it took was a computer to actually decode that in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, and, accurately uh, and they built they, what's so crazy is they built a machine to do just that that mechanically solved it. I'm not sure exactly how that worked. Yeah, I don't know. But these giant room, they're not room size, but really big things with little knobs that are clicking and mm-hmm. they show it in the, the Alan Turing movie. Yeah. The, uh, and, and so I, I have, I got, have a, I have a minor fascination with cryptography because I've read the book, uh, Cryptonomicon twice, which is a book mm-hmm. that most people don't read once. Cause it's like 1200 pages of really dense Neil Stevenson weirdness. And I don't blame them, but I really liked it. So I read it a second time and Alan Turing's a character in it. And one of it's, it, it's like three different stories. And one of the stories is world war two and breaking the enigma code and, the idea that once it was broken, you couldn't use all of that intelligence. Because yeah, you then, had to parcel out yes. what you did so they wouldn't know. Yeah, like uh, there was apparently a mathematical model that showed how much you could use over time to be reasonably certain that they wouldn't figure out that that you weren't just getting lucky that you had broken their code, and then they come up with a better one, and you gotta you gotta take five more years. So. That that it's, required strat like the strategy that strategy required sending soldiers, basically knowing they were going to die, like you you knew the Germans were going to be here on this day. You're going to send the soldiers in anyway because anything else would be worse in the long run. And yeah, holy they, shit, the same thing applied to magic in the Pacific because the U.S. cryptographers had broken the Japanese code mm-hmm. just prior to the or right at the beginning of the war. But nobody ever broke the Navajo code because it wasn't even That's really true. a code. It, it was, wasn't code. It was just an impossible language yep. that no one spoke. <laughs> yep. A language completely unrelated to any of the language families that anybody in the Pacific uh, theater was using. Oh, the Enigma stuff is so fast. I actually just read a whole thing about Enigma like a week ago. Yeah, it really is. So, the the machine, i explain kind of how it works, is that it had rotary rotary wheels that you could code to, to letters. And it also had a plug board that could kind of randomize how it output the code. It's hard to explain without seeing a video, like <laughs> seeing a visual of it. Yeah, it looked like a weird oversized typewriter in a box, correct? Yes, and it came in a box. Yeah. And it had, well, I say, the original had three wheels and it had four wheels. They kept adding, adding permutations to it, so it made the codes more complex. But its major weakness is it could not code a letter to itself. So, you know, you couldn't code A to A. It had to, you had to code it to something else. So when you, that would let them, what they would do is they would look for code for phrases that showed up a lot. Mm-hmm. Like nothing to report showed up in German communication all the time. So you'd isolate those words and then based on them not being able to repeat, like you, you could find all the thes because, you know, T can't be T and H can't be H and E mm-hmm. can't be E. So you define that group of letters, you could break it up based on what you knew it wasn't. And that's so bizarrely counterintuitive. Isn't it? And then yeah. they, they, what would really break stuff is when they would isolate phrases. Is they knew like certain phrases almost always occurred and they could break those first. Mm-hmm. And then decipher the rest of it from there. So they had a whole, their decoder book would have this whole list of different, and it would vary by service. So the German army would have separate ones. The air force would have separate ones. 
And the Navy one was the hardest to break because they were really anal about security, <laughs> whereas the Army and the and the Air Force not so much. Mm-hmm. And so what the the Navy ones were the most difficult ones for them to break. Fucking just so interesting. And they had a, they had they had one guy who's who's one not one job, but he spent a ton of time just with the the replicated machine finding all the all the lazy ways to do things. <laughs> Say, well, if you're going to do this, what would be the laziest way to operate it in this, to do this function? Because he figured that operators would make lazy mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, okay, well, if you're supposed to change this every so often, what's the laziest way to change it? The minimum amount to follow the rule, but still do it. And it worked. And he had a, yeah, and that worked. You had a whole list of shit. <laughs> and say, okay, well, well they're going to change it, but here's the minimum amount of way to change it. And we'll start from there. Because <laughs> they're supposed to, you know, change the the settings on a regular schedule. So, like, okay, so you can change the settings technically by turning this one knob. So yeah, just... they'll say, okay, we'll turn it, yeah. So he figured out the minimum amount of effort to comply with the rule. And it turned out that most <laughs> of the Germans were doing that. Yeah, it turned out, yeah, that that was pretty successful. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, so brilliant, all these just little logic problems they came up with to solve that stuff. One thing you don't hear about from World War II, like, we have Rosie the Riveter and American women went to work in the factories when the men were off fighting. Uh, but a lot of British women ended up being fucking code breakers. Like, Bletchley Park yeah. was largely Park. staffed by women abetting, aiding, abetting, aiding the war effort. And just like the American women, you know, the men came back and they went, the, the job wasn't needed anymore, and they went back into the home. But it's just fucking badass that there's this this the place where the world's first computer was invented, where they they decoded the Enigma code that was the center of all allied intelligence in the European theater was almost all run by housewives. Yeah, the the radar plotters too, the the Wrens would run the you know the, you know, the big board? Mm-hmm. Where you get their your radar. No, they didn't have radar, they just ate carrots so they could see really <laughs> well in the dark. Because a lot of their their radar technicians and then the the people plotting where everything was based on their radar contacts were mm-hmm. were women as well. And then there were people whose job it was during uh, the Battle of Britain to use the was it the tipping method on the on the V ones. Oh yeah, that's that's towards the end of the war. Yeah, that's during the, the vengeance. Yeah. Yep, when they the were vengeance campaign with the V one buzz bomb. Yeah, so when the when the rockets were uh, coming toward. London, there were fucking daredevil pilots who would go and they would fly with their wings just under the fin of the rocket, and then they would turn, like you know crank the throttle, tip it just a little bit to knock the rocket off course and go you know let it blow up harmlessly in a field somewhere. Yes, the- super <clears throat> dangerous and badass as fuck. Which was only done maybe a couple dozen times. Doesn't matter. Yeah, but the the V one looks it's like a cru- it's an early cruise missile. Mm-hmm. Looks like a little airplane. It was like the first cruise missile. Wasn't it? it is, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, it's the first cruise missile. And it was launched from a big ramp, and then it had a, gy- a simple gyroscope that kept it level. And then at a certain point, a pre-programmed point, then the gyroscope would stop, and it would lose control and dive into where mm-hmm. it was supposed to go. Really hit or miss, dead reckoning, aiming, geometry. But the airplane would come up, if you didn't want to shoot it down, you could come up right, right parallel with it, put your wingtip under its wingtip, and the the pressure from the wing being under there, you know, Bernoulli and all that shit, mm-hmm. would tip the the V one enough that it would tumble the gyroscope and it would spin out and 
crash. Yeah. That's Very awesome. cool. Yeah. So Blake's real animal is World War II. <laughs> yeah, just talking about the Enigma machine. That's always Blake's real animal, though. Yeah. Dude, I'm going to New Orleans soon. I get to go see. I'm going to go to the World War II Museum. Apparently, it's really good. I haven't yeah, been. I've heard it's super awesome. Also, the Museum of Death. Don't know if it's good or not. Definitely going. Wasn't Alina just in New Orleans? Yeah, I don't think she went to the Museum of Death, even though I sent the link to her. Yeah. Yeah, our uh, good friend Alina. Uh, we should we should, uh, we should, should try to record the podcast with her and our friend Alex while we're in Denver next month. Yeah, that'd be fun. We'll see if I can bring... Well, I can't bring the... <laughs> I definitely can't bring my microphone, but maybe we can work something out. Yeah, I'll have to figure that out. We got time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that'll be fun. All right. Um... You got anything else to talk about, Mr. World War II? Not really. I could talk about the V1 and the V2 for days. Yeah, but that's a different podcast. Totally different. That's another podcast that we're thinking of doing someday, <laughs> potentially. Yeah, those require actual having research in front of me, so it's not just all at the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and like it, it, it requires so much more research to do it well than a cryptid podcast that's supposed to be funny. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody... Um, Thanks for listening to the Hidden Zoo. Uh, we'll check. We'll have to check on Ryan see if he's okay. Yeah, he's uh, he said he's going to go watch some old Star Trek to make himself feel better. <laughs> so, um, so everybody, uh, be excellent to each other, and you got to say Ryan's line. Party on, right? Yeah, or you can just say whatever you want. Let's, let's try it again. Be excellent Six, to each other. Sixty nine, dude. Yeah. <laughs>